Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of the show, Kevin Kernan, AMBS, the Hall of Famer. This is Coach and Kernan, episode 390 on our network. We're also joined by Will George here today, star of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. That'll be this Friday again this week to close out the week. This is the week leading up to Christmas. Hopefully you'll enjoy our Christmas music selections. Uh, we'll get started real quick here. I just want to thank our audience Challenge you to get to 60,000 fans. You did that last week. Let's try to get to 61 by the end of the week to close out the year. We appreciate your support. You know what to do. I don't have to tell you. Uh, get going with that. And then Blackout Coffee, thank you for your support. Coffee's on AMBS this month and all of 2024. Make sure you use his code at checkout, K K E V I K all caps, number 20, K-E-V-I-K, 20, all caps. At checkout, you'll get your 20% off. And then I plug Ted Kubiak's book. He said he got he got so excited he thinks he's going to buy his book last week. But Old School is a great book, How to Field a Ground Ball with Ted Kubiak for your stocking stuffer and baseball lover. And with that, I'll bring on our star of the show, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, welcome back to the show. You had great articles this week. In in between, somehow you attended a wedding 18 to 20 hours away, uh, wrote a great article, and then got yourself back through a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, busy week. You know, just another AMBS week. Had some fun. Went up for a... Uh... You know, I, we, we try to make all the uh, nieces and nephews weddings. I don't know if people do that anymore, you know, because it's uh, you make the effort to see people and um, uh, life goes fast. So that was fun up in New Jersey. Had some you, good. You look good, by the way, in the picture. I don't mean that, but uh, no, that's said, fun. You look yeah. phenomenal. Um, and I, I say that with <laughs> I don't know how the audience takes <laughs> that. Well, when, you, when you see all the food, you know, I think people are shocked. But again, I, it's like anything else. Um, Try to eat uh, eat well and eat good uh, food, and uh, uh, don't overindulge too much. But I'm, I'm at my I'm at my college baseball weight, one ninety. So I could, uh, you know, I could I, I could still get out there, and we had a good time at the wedding. Uh, weddings have changed, though. You know, I got to say that. Uh, you know, um, sometimes, uh, and and you know, it's this is what the young people want. It's it's you know, I go back to the wedding scene and the deer hunter. To me, that was, uh, you know, it's kind of like the weddings I grew up with. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, but it's uh, it's a classic. And the wedding scene is, uh, the Polish wedding is pretty much what, I grew up in an Italian town, but, uh, you know, the you had the wedding at the um, American Legion Hall, or the, uh, you know, little hall in town somewhere. And, uh, you know, these the weddings now are more, you got the DJ, you got their, it's like going to a rave or something, you know, so that's, that's, uh, it's it's hard to hear, but it's it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Did they have the bag? Like we, uh, ours were kind of like the Godfather growing up. It's uh, I grew up obviously Italian with D'Agostino, but sure. they even had the little little uh, the little bag. You drop the envelope with the cash in it, and uh, and uh, the big table of gifts and thousands of people who were extended family who maybe have been the first time you met them. <laughs> exactly in the uh, yeah, I like when uh, I, you know my my. Uh, the weddings I've gone to through the years and stuff like that. And speaking of Italian tasks, if, if the food's not good, I've seen people go back into their uh, gift and uh, take some back, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's what you're paying for. So you got to, uh, you got to have good food. We had good food. Uh, it was chilly. It was in, um, you know, it was in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Nice little town. Oh yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was fun. And then the, the ride back, I got to say something about North Carolina. Just, uh, just a dreadful, dreadful. Anybody driving back, North Carolina is a joke. 
everything is they call Jersey barriers. They're on the side of the road and they basically create a work area. Uh, and you don't see many people working, but, um, and so you have no shoulders. So we passed at least three or four cars that, uh, you know, hydroplaned and, you know, when you hydroplane, it's real hard and you got to hope you can just uh, lay off the brake and get through it. But uh, we've seen, we saw three or four accidents and, um, the Jersey Barriers in North Carolina it looks like they're going to be there for the next 30, 40, 50 years. So uh, I don't know what they're doing in North Carolina. I saw some, saw some COVID billboards too. I thought I, I thought I was back in like, uh, you know, I thought I went back in time, you know, time machine, um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, take care of your health, eat well, get outside, get some sunshine and, and uh, try not to hit a Jersey barrier. Yeah. Right. You, you had, uh, I mean, three three articles in a row hit the hit the Otani situation where they're they're really exploiting the luxury tax rule. The Dodgers. I've got some numbers on that later if we get to it. And then the article on the on the uh, the typewriters. That was my favorite one you've written so far. In fact, I joked with you before the show. I was in an antique shop and I started looking at typewriters. I couldn't figure out why. And it was uh, as I got back into my subliminal. Somehow you got into my head uh, through the article, and I was taking photos of typewriters, sending them to you. And, uh, and then the recent one, I mean, that's, that's a hell of a story right there, uh, with our, with, with Rob Samarano up in uh, New Jersey now with potential comeback, but that's that article I laughed out loud because that's using science against baseball. They, they created the, the landscape and why on earth wouldn't they sign this guy? Throws a hundred. Throws a hundred, you know, and I was thinking about it too. And again, you know, it's all these are at, and, and we'll have Will weigh in on it from a scout's perspective, but. You know, it's called the, I, I had, you know, I, I kind of titled my things too. So I called it the rookie two, because he's actually, Rob Samarano is seven years older than Jim Morris was when he pitched for the uh, Rays, Devil Rays back then. And, uh, you know, I found this out through my, you know, I know a lot of people, obviously, and the professor, Dom Mueller, he's kind of a nutty professor, you know, a lot of these guys are. And, um, um, but Steve Dalkowski, he studied, and this is fascinating. You got to read the article. I'm not doing justice here, and I'm not doing it telling you that for clicks. But you could go read the article. You might learn something about it better than I'm explaining it. But Steve Dalkowski threw harder than anyone, basically, in the history of the game. And that's that's been pretty well documented. I met Steve. I did a story on him in about 2000. I'm guessing 13. He was in a, uh, he was basically an assisted living home up in uh, Connecticut, had some issues. You know, he, 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 you know, he, he, he drank heavily. Uh, he eventually sobered up, but had some, some uh, issues afterwards. Met his sister, Patty Kane, great lady. She really helped him. And um, so I, I talked to Dalkowski and I actually went to the high school field. I think he took, he struck out 24 out of 27 batters Um but he threw, you know, anywhere from 100 to 110. Didn't have command, obviously, because he would walk a lot of guys. Davey Johnson told me he threw a ball. He he was on a, he was a minor league teammate with Dalkowski, and he and he kind of said, "Hey, you think you can throw the ball through the center field fence?" And this was the old wooden plank fences that you'd see like in uh, the old movies, you know. And um, and uh, he, he, Dalkowski was kind of a goofball. And he said, I don't know. Let me try. And he threw it and he threw the ball through the fence. So, so long story short, this professor Mueller, a, you know, he's a physics, he, he's a real smart guy, real smart guy. Um, 
Um, and he figured it out. And he's also a good tennis player. So he had the combination of sports guy, brains, checking out the, you know, the whole mechanics, super mechanics of the situation. And he has what he said, Delkowski had what you call a neutral wrist. In other words, when you shake hands, old days when people used to shake hands before the COVID billboards and stuff, you know, I'm glad we see you back in my church. Some people are shaking hands again. But when you shook hands in the old days, you kind of threw your wrist out there, pinky down, thumb up. That's kind of the way Delkowski was called a neutral wrist. And and it puts less strain on the on the forearm and the elbow and it creates more of a, a whip. So this professor studied all this. Um, started teaching it in tennis. He even does, and guys, you've seen the on the beaches when you see a dog, you know, people can't throw. They have these dog whips things. Oh, that that whipping, you, yeah. yeah. Well, he actually, had, he told me, I, I, I didn't check this out, but he told me that he has the world record longest throw with that dog whip thing. So, because uh, he had, he, the way he, he contorts his arm and stuff like that. So, he, 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 he studied all this. Then we go to, uh, you know, he's, he's he has a uh, um, he, physical therapist he's friends with because he said, and, and this would have been, you know, next time we talk to Sal about this, he said, he said, physical therapists are the, kind of the, like the people who really understand this stuff, which I found really interesting because they understand how the body works. And um, so this guy, uh, Samarano, his dad pitched in a Pirates organization but he had he had he had a knee replacement or two knee replacements and then he had to get knee replacement revision surgery boom he's talking to the uh, the pt and uh, and he says something like uh, my son still pitches you know he's like 40ish at the time and uh, and then that pt reach, reaches out to professor mueller because they know each other mueller gets in touch with this guy turns out he pitched for the yankees a bunch of teams uh, Two Tommy Johns, 42 years old, in great shape. He goes up to West Orange, New Jersey to see Professor, works with him. They go to a couple places, work some more. They do videos. All of a sudden, he goes from throwing 86 to 101. It's an amazing story. He's 42 years old. And getting back to your point, Dave, and I'll bring, bring Will in now. You know, uh, you know. Justin Verlander, he's he was in the Justin Verlander draft. Verlander's still pitching, so why not give this guy a shot? I mean, they're going to spend three hundred million on a, on a Japanese pitcher soon, uh, or more, uh, counting a posting fee three fifty. Uh, but they won't do their own homework and, and give this guy a shot. You know, somebody from the White Sox reaches out to him, a big name. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But um, and then they, they need to follow up. Um, and there's video of this guy. He uh, and and this is where you know I only know so much, but I saw the video. I sent the video to Will. Will, what do you think of the video of Rob Samarano? You know his backyard semis bullpen. You know just a little bullpen in the backyard from uh, this summer. He uh, he filmed himself. Uh, what do you think of his mechanics? They were good. He, um, you know, I was just telling Dave before you jumped on that you know he. Uh, unlike the videos you watch it from driveline of kids that are uh, running and jumping and falling all over the place and, you know, falling to the ground to crow hop 100 miles an hour, 
he did it in a clean pitching delivery. There was no no real uh, effort. It was well connected, and the ball came out of his hand really well. So uh, it looked like it was, you know, it was just a couple pitches, but he was in the strike zone area and uh, certainly inter- interesting enough to see. And, you know, uh, you know, you sent it to Mark and I, and Mark wanted to know what kind of radar gun it was. Those pocket radars are they're pretty accurate. Uh, you know, sometimes there, there may be a little bit of a discrepancy, but sure, maybe sure. one or two miles per hour, maybe three miles per hour. But even there, he's, he's throwing 98 then. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and actually, he, I know he's been to places like uh, I think there's a place called Hustle Baseball up in New Jersey. So he's worked out in academies that have more traditional radars, and uh, yeah, so he's been measured in that area. And um, and again, it's it seemed to have a little movement. Um, yeah. Um, put it this way: if he was 22 instead of 42. Teams would be jumping, jumping in. Well, right? yeah. yeah, I mean, he'd be. A, if he was a, Japanese, they might be offering him a hundred million too. I don't yeah. know. You know, he'd be. You know, uh, at twenty-two, he'd be a senior in college and throwing a hundred miles an hour. He'd go in the first round or two, and you know, get get some sort of an opportunity. And look, he, his body looked good, like he was in good shape. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned Steve Dolkowski. Uh, me signing with the Orioles, I had sure. heard all the stories uh, about him. In fact, uh, Cal's Ripken Sr., Cal's dad, was his personal catcher through the minor leagues. They always wanted him because uh, they felt that Cal would be able to bring him you know, into the strike zone and get him to perform in the best way that he could. Uh, he told me stories where, you know, he would miss high in the strike zone and to his arm side. And Cal told me he would put his glove on the ground and, you know, how they said the ball doesn't rise. Well, he would throw pitches at 105 at the ground and Cal would catch them eye high. <laughs> um, I believe it. I believe everything about that one. Yeah. I, I and, talked to enough know, people. And that's, that's, you know, now modern spin rate that they measure or whatever uh, is that. I mean, because of how he, the whip that he had in his, in, in his arm and his hand as the ball comes out. The neutral it, wrist. Yeah, it, it creates the ball to carry, 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 continue to carry, um, as opposed to, especially with the four seams, you know, and. Uh, but yeah, I, I had heard all those stories and it's certainly an interesting guy in our industry. I don't know if anybody will give him the opportunity, but I don't I guess it's no, simply because it's such a, uh, I don't see what it would hurt in an industry where we can afford to bring somebody into your organization at $700 million, <laughs> bring them into spring training for three weeks and get a look at him and see if he can bounce back. Right. Uh, if he throws strikes, if he has secondary pitches, if he's a good competitor, he has man strength, uh, probably a responsible man, uh, you know, at 42 years old. That's lived yeah, I, think, I think he has, I didn't mention all the kids, but I think he has three or four kids. He, he also, let me mention too, he was a valedictorian and went to Fordham. 
I think he has a degree in accounting. He's obviously smart to understand yeah. what the professor's teaching him. Right. So I, I don't, and also I, I forgot to mention, he also sent me a video of him like jumping on the, Dave probably does this every morning. He jumped on a, a high bar and did like these gymnastic moves and oh wow, flipped over the bar and so he's uh, mobile. He's yeah. mobile, exactly. Yeah. He's mobile. That's, has he had Tommy John surgery at all? He's had two, so he's oh, he's he's, he, he's equal to Otani. Yeah. He had one in two thousand one, um, and then he also I think he had one at Fordham, and then he had in two thousand nine he actually pitched in a, a major league spring training game was feeling pretty good about himself with the Astros. Um, and then uh, later that season, double A, might have been, yeah, double A, he, 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 he tore his elbow again. It took him a while to come back. And then he was over 30, so he was basically history. But he loves, like us, he loves the sport, loves the pitch. And he told me, he said, even if I don't make it, I, I'm still going to go out there and throw because I love to throw. Other guys play golf. I, I like to throw. So I'll do my bullpens. You know, it's a, it's a phenomenal story. Just for a team like the Pirates should jump all over this. Ben Sherrington, I'm speaking to you. Um, his father pitched uh, for the Pirates organization, was part of the uh, era of We Are Family. And I heard his father, you know, when you write stories, people get back to you and stuff like that. Somebody sent me a note that they actually played against his father and the father was throwing 90 in adult leagues up until a certain age, you know. So, wow. so, so just to go backpedal on what Will was talking about. So we got, we also got the genes working well. So, I mean, there's about seven or eight positive boxes you want to check there. The negative of course is 42, but since he's probably redone his arm twice and he's using a different tactic for how to throw the ball, um, uh, it maybe he doesn't have the, you know, he's not as, you know, you know, Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco came out of retirement. I came off the couch. He's doing yeah. okay with the Browns. Uh, it's the, it's the um, what I call, and I talked to a lot of people about this recently. It's the groupthink in baseball that's ruining the game. And uh, this is another example. Oh, he's too old. You know, he, you know, basically they're one step away. The nerds are one step away from saying he's not only old, but he's yelling at clouds. Well, he's not yelling at clouds. So this, this, this is where you really see. You cut through all the crap, and you see that these people just talk a lot of BS, but they don't walk the walk. You, you got to hold them accountable to their own rules, and that's what they created the rules, the, the miles per hour, the spin rates. This guy, they, and they took the human element and parts out of the game. If this guy shows up at a camp uh, to try out, and I think he'd be great for shoot, tell him to go pitch a couple games in indie ball and wake yeah, people Yeah, I should hook him up with Chris Widger. Yeah. But if he throw, shows up at a camp and he throws 102 – Sure. I mean, a scout will get, they'd probably get laughed out of the room saying, we got a 42 year old. But if they don't report a 100 mile an hour fastball, they're going to get their ass fired. They have to at least report it to put it on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, we could get him a Dominican birth certificate and say he's 30. <laughs> yeah. At least, shoot, 22. Uh, 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 I remember talking to someone about this. I'm, I'm not going to name names, but uh, there was a player I knew who was. Uh, he, he was out of Patterson, went to high school in Patterson, didn't get drafted or whatever, and came up with a new plan. He went to Dominican, Dominican uh, DR. I went to the DR, uh, went to a tryout camp, and, uh, you know, got, got, got a nice little signing bonus and signed, even though he was like a couple years older than they thought. And oh, uh, no, that you know, was- he, he took the Dominican DR route, you know? Well, that's that was definitely an issue, and I believe that the – that the country 
down there finally, you know, stabilize that yeah. and fix that. But I mean, that was, uh, you know, I said that sarcastically that, you know, well, I know for a fact it's happened. <laughs> oh, no, no. I had a kid my first year coaching that he looked older and we had signed him out of the Dominican. And the kid on the other team said that he was a cop in his hometown and he had to be at least 30. <laughs> and that was an extended spring where all the kids were like 18 and 19 and 20 years old. So, um, well, yeah, you know, but. The other hey. thing, the other point I want to make in a, and, and Chris Dave deals in multiple sports. Professor Mueller, he's also worked with some high school people, not just baseball, but he, he was telling me he had a he had a discus thrower and he had something else. Uh, one of one of the um, maybe hammer, I don't know. And these guys really increased their throw distance too by using some of his uh, his methods. So it's a it's a fascinating thing, and and. Um, for people not to jump on this, hopefully it gets enough, uh, uh, you know, enough momentum and we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, you know, the Yankees signed Frankie Montas and he couldn't throw and uh, they're signing all and giving people, you know, Carlos Rodon, by the way, 14 starts last year, 6.85 ERA. I forget how many millions they gave him. Nesta Cortez, you know, 12 starts, shoulder in, uh, issues twice. Clark Smith, one of the young guys who's great, they, they love a lot. Well, he, he, he had a career high 159 innings pitch. So, so the state, they've ruined the state of, they've ruined the pitching. So why not uh, give somebody like this a shot? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, there is a AMBS posting fee though. It's not like the Japanese posting fee. So maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I should uh, try to represent the guy. Absolutely. Well, you brought to light more about him in the last probably decade than than anybody else with the one. Well, you know, at some point too later, we'll see how this goes on, and we'll have we'll, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. For he's a nice guy too. I mean, I had multiple conversations with him. I worked on this story for a while with the interviews. You know, also it was a timing thing. You talk about the typewriter. I had to get the typewriter story done first because the typewriter stories were going on up up on auction. So. Um, so that had to be done because that auction by Heritage Auctions had ended last week. And that was a fascinating story because Steve Soberoff, you know, a, a friend I knew from New York, hooked me up with him. And he agreed to do, you know, he, he saw who my followers were and stuff like that and, and agreed to do the interview. And Steve was the, uh, he was the uh, one of the uh, L.A. police commissioners for the last 10 years, did a great job out there because he knows what the police were up against out there, everything from... Um, you know, the district attorney, uh, you know, and, and what's going on. Just a little side note, because this is why, uh, you know, there's a lot of information come out the last few weeks that I've had. So he told me they had 4 million calls last year in L.A. And only 32 times did the officers shoot their guns. And, you know, and, um, it, you know, he, he really says that they've done a great job out there against some terrible odds and things like this. And he also ran for mayor. It came very close to winning mayor. Uh, I'm not sure when that was, maybe early 2000s. They would have been better off if he, he'd become mayor. But he um, he was a big Jim Murray fan, so he started, um, he uh, he saw that Jim Murray's uh, typewriter's for sale, and that got him going in 2005. He bought Jim Murray's typewriter. Um, and from there, he went on to buy, the to collect the greatest uh um, typewriter collection in the world, 39 typewriters from 
you know, some of the people you can't, you know, biggest names, Hemingway, uh, you know, um, uh, I think he even had um, John Lennon's typewriter, the wow. Unabomber's typewriter, um, and and that that all went for sale. So that how was how did you get the Unabomber's typewriter? FBI, oh an FBI, FBI, because I asked him that question, and um, um, might have been a uh, you know a, another government agency, but it came through the FBI because you know they had it, and um, that happened when I was in college. My my uh, history professor at the time. Uh, was her, that was her brother-in-law and her husband was the one that turned him in. And wow. they, uh, we, we had classes canceled for like God, three weeks, which was great for me because I was in baseball season. So I got right. to relax a little bit, but there, I mean, you, the, the amount of media that surrounded the street and we had an apartment like one corner over. What college uh, is this? Union college. Oh, okay. Yep. Union college. And, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, it, it just hit it by storm. But yeah, that, that, when you said that, I was like, huh, that, that must've been a hard find. The Hemingway one intrigued me. I'm a big Hemingway fan. Yeah. You can't afford it though. That was a big no, one. I, I couldn't afford it. I could barely afford the typewriter in the, uh, yeah. the shop. I, I pictured to you. So I didn't buy that by the way. And he had Hugh Hefner's typewriter. Um, and, and like the point he made, cause he had, you know, he, because of his work with the police department, it was very important for him to make sure these were really typewriters that these people owned and actually wrote on. You know, it wasn't like, you know, um, and, and like John Lennon's typewriter came from an ant, you know, when he, and, and some of his early, early, early songs were written on it. And, uh, you know, um, you know, he, he, he also gave, uh, I think, six to the uh, Smithsonian, including Joe DiMaggio's typewriter. And what was funny about DiMaggio's typewriter was um, there was a clicking noise, funny noise made when he, you know, and he thought something was, so he took it apart and there was a, basically an old bank card that DiMaggio had cut up and threw in the typewriter so nobody would get, get, get it. You know, you know, he was very, um, Joe D was very, uh, you know, he's a private guy. I'm sure he didn't want parts of that type of uh, that card showing up somewhere and being sold at auction, you know? So, so it's a, and that was a fascinating story too. And that's, that's a great thing about being able to write what I want to write. I don't have an editor screw me up, you know, like, uh, you know, because sometimes you write stories and they want to add this or that. Just tell the story, you know, and that's why I would tell young writers just uh, I also mentioned it in that article when I met, you know, when I met Red Smith early on, we were sitting at a game and I asked him, what, you know, how, you know, what got, got any tips basically? Because I just put your, and this was back in the typewriter. I even actually have a picture of my, my original typewriter. And uh, he said, put your wrist on, you know, fingers on the keys and let your wrist bleed. So, it's um, it it was a that was a fun story to do too, and uh, and and you meet some interesting people like this guy. And he called me the next, you know, and you know, a story hits home when the very next day on the drive up to New Jersey, I, I got a phone call from him. It was probably like six a.m. out in L.A., and he was just thrilled with it because it, it was a very uh, you know, you, you write a story like this, you got to be right about things, and uh, that's why one of the first things I do is I always ask everybody to spell their name. Cause you don't want to spell the name wrong and that screws you up right away. So, so this guy sold, you know, I hope he did well with his typewriters, He's 75 years old, but he, he was young, young at heart. You could tell. And, uh, and finally with this last, uh, last typewriter story I'll tell is, uh, I threw some of my own stuff in there and he liked that too. But Phil Collier was a great writer in San Diego, Jack Murphy stadium, uh, San Diego back then, Jack Murphy was Bob Murphy's brother. 
and Jack was the sports editor of the San Diego Union. So they hired some great people. And Phil Collier was one of the writers that they hired. And Phil covered the Dodgers in L.A. before there was a Padres team. So he became close friends with a lot of the Dodgers, hung out with them all the time. And uh, Phil was a World War II veteran. I think he was with Patton. And, um, you know, so so Phil uh, was, a, was a Texas guy, nicest guy in the world. And um, he would... Uh, he would basically, Sandy Koufax really loved him, and Phil interviewed, he got, you know, Phil interviewed him for when Sandy was going to retire, but he interviewed him a year ahead of time. Wrote, wrote the story up, put it in his typewriter, and finally one day Sandy called him and said, Phil, run the story. So that was in there too. Yeah. We do talk, speaking of the Dodgers there, how do they get away with what they're doing with Otani with deferring that money? circumvent the luxury tax uh, they're doing well, anybody can do that anybody can do that it's i think it's in the it's yeah. it's in, it's in it's like the, a ponzi scheme though yeah but you know i i do give uh otani credit because he gets away with not having to pay the la taxes uh, who knows where that money goes you know you know well, I so did, uh, 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 uh not to interrupt i saw dan, dan o'dowd talked a little bit about it uh you have to prove to Major League Baseball that you have the money funded for all that, yeah. too. Yeah, the money has to be there ahead of time, right? Exactly. And uh, Just once so, a year, though. They show it in an account, and then they yeah. can move it back. But they, uh, they, they, that was also part of the, uh, the CBA, too, that, 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 that you know, they're Right. It, it used to be you could do some, not this much, from what I understood, too. But it was, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 it's like a problem for Major League Baseball, I think. Yeah, I, you know, it's not good because now you've, you know, every time you set the bar, it was like the first time a guy got a million dollars. Right. Which was Brian Taylor in the draft where it jumped from, you know, first, first overall pick went from 500000 to a million you open up that can of worms when you double the ceiling and you know, now what, well, if he got 700, somebody's going to have a couple great years and they're going to say that I'm worth a billion, you know, and it, it just keeps climbing up. But I guess if you make all the money they make in gambling now, um, you know, they must have the money or else they wouldn't be giving it away. Well, and the other part of it, they know how to, you know, I know Stan Caston well and the president of the Dodgers. They'll market the hell out of this one. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. everybody yeah. in Japan will have a Dodgers Otani jersey. They'll have streaming services. Oh, yeah. They'll, well, they'll, yeah I mean, they, they'll make their money back on this one. And I always say the owners have the money. So, you know, I, I don't mind them spending it. And I think they should spend it more. But what I, my fear here is that there's so many. And I think you're seeing a little. It'll be interesting to see with the. Uh, with uh, with uh, Yamamoto and with the Mets, if he, you know if he signs with them, but you know you're going to see some pushback here now because his his price was starting at 200, now it's over 300, and in the end, I don't care what people say. In the end, the fans pay. The fans pay. Oh, you, yeah. know? you know, at some point, City Field is going to be a casino. You know, and 
And, uh, you know, remember when, and we'll talk about the good old days. Oh, I remember when I used to be able to drive and park over at uh, City Field. You can't do that anymore because there's a casino there, but it's a great night out, you know. And uh, it's going to, ch- you know, it's going to change the whole metrics of the fans. I mean, that's the metrics that's really changing. You know, you're not getting the fan that, and, and you're seeing it in other sports, um, that the gambling thing is going to come back in a way to bite teams. I'm down here near Jacksonville. They're, 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 they they had the situation uh, where the guy was uh, $22 million was taken from the VCC, virtual credit card situation. I don't know how he did it, but and a lot of it went to gambling, evidently, according to the lawyers, allegedly, all this stuff. we got to say the right words. And um, uh, But he also, you know, bought condos, uh, watches, cars, uh, you know, if, if a team has doesn't notice that 22 million is done and my, my wife worked, um, you know, in, in, um, in dealt with money. And one of the things you got to do if you run a company and and Dave, uh, you should address this because you're not smarter than us on this stuff. But you can't have the guy that buys stuff also signing the checks that buys the stuff. You know, there's got to be some kind of a fail safe. So what does that tell you about the Jaguars? Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, that, that just made me cringe when you said that, that guy <laughs> controlling the money is buying, especially if there's no checks and balance on it. I, uh, yeah, the, the, the Jags are interesting. The, the, uh, you know, with and circle back quick and then get, get to the, the Jags, the, the Dodgers thing doesn't bother me that they can do it. I mean, it is, it does kind of define like a Ponzi scheme type where you're moving money to show the MLB, but they made the rules. So if they're using them, good for them. But in 2040, the Dodgers are going to be paying Freeman, Betts, and Otani. And that's just 2040. They're going to be paying those three guys alone $84 million. Wow. So between those three and 2040, they, neither none of them are going to be playing. They'll owe them $84 million between them. Well, so it'll be yeah. one of those things for many you know decades. It'll be like the high, who's the highest paid Dodger? It's, it's the, well, it's 50 year old, uh, you know, Otani. Okay. Yep. You know, and, and who knows? He might have a third Tommy John, you know. And Will, I, I have a question about what I've seen from him. Great player, of course, time MVP. But you know, they always say he'll make. You know, he makes any team a contender. Well, the Angels won contenders. You know, well, and uh, and uh, again, maybe maybe there's. I have some red flags. This is just AMBS red flags. Well, you know, one, yeah, red, you one, know. One, one, let me just say first my red flag. He, he's so private. That's a little scary for right. a clubhouse, I think. Right. And, and um, well, I mean, he wouldn't even tell us what his surgery was the other day. Yeah, right. You know, right. The, 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 you know he, he didn't want to tell anybody that he had time. Well, you know, like uh, Plezak, I think, said last night, you know, he, he didn't have bone chips cleaned up. <laughs> or else well, he'd be, and, pitching, and or else he'd be this, pitching next year. Yeah, when I wrote this, I wrote he had Tommy John. And, yeah. and my, my argument would be, well, if he doesn't, if, if he disagrees with what I have to say, tell us what you had. So yeah, that's why well, the media has to step up here. And, and well, really, there's a reason he's not going to pitch next year. Yeah. Because because whatever he had was so serious that he can't pitch. So, and he's had know, it twice. You know, yeah. and, and to answer your question, uh, you know, I think I read somewhere that uh, the Angels had the GOAT and the Unicorn and they didn't make the playoffs ever, right? You know, because what they, they they called you know Trout was the the goat, the greatest of all times, 
and he was the unicorn, the freak. And, you know, they, 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 didn't even come close to the playoffs ever. No, they weren't even. That's the beauty of baseball. It's got to be a bunch of things that go right. So, so you know, Yamamoto. It seems to me like he'll wind up a Yankee. I it just, um, it just, I have a weird connection with this only because why, why, why? You know, Yasunobu Yamamoto Yankees. You know, it seems like he wants to be a Yankee. But he's got he's to play his cards right, too, because will the Yankees continue? Soto's a one-year rental, right. you know? So do you want to go there? You know, the Dodgers talking to him. In the past, from what I've seen, two Japanese stars don't like to be on the same team, um, superstars, because they like to kind of uh, you know, spread it out a little bit. So we'll see if that happens. I mean, if the Dodgers get him now, too, that's very interesting. But, uh, you know, he had dinner with Cohen the other night, and um, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, you know the Mets will offer him the most money. So it, it's just a, such a strange time in baseball now and, and uh, some of the things they're doing. And my main fear here is this is why I want to tie it all up. Football at least has parity to some degree, you know. And um, um, – Baseball, if they get further and further away from your, your team actually having a chance to win, uh, uh, that's why they've added teams and things like that. But if I'm a Pirate fan, you know, it's more. It's got to be more than just betting the game that gets me to a game. It's got to be rooting for my team to win, actually. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, Otani, you guys hit it on the head. He's, he's not in his claws. He doesn't have to attend any team functions. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't have to. And he will only answer questions about hitting. That's it. Yeah, and I, if I'm a media guy, my first question is uh, about the elbow, and that'll be my first question every day until they stop uh, giving me. But you know, he's got to have situations where he talks, uh, and the media has to step up here and keep asking the question. I mean, you know, it can't be like uh, you know politics where certain questions aren't asked. You, you got to ask. You know, uh, you know, one of the things, um, you know, I'd heard somebody talk about him is, you know, that uh, just him being there is worth, you know, bringing 35 to $45 million a year in marketing from, uh, from selling his jerseys, his oh, yeah. commercials, his TV Japanese TV rights, all those kind of things. Um, so, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get their money's worth. I, I just, I hate it for low market clubs that should be getting, you know, like the with the Rays had to now trade glass now, ironically, to the Dodgers because they couldn't afford them. And uh, that's the part that I hate, as Kevin was saying, the parody. Yeah. The rules aren't set up for that. It's to Oh, no. It's, it, it, it's certainly not good for the game. And, um, and, you know, Kevin called out organizations, you know, um, you better start developing your own. You better start doing what Arizona did. You know, Arizona put a bunch of their own young kids. They made some good trades and, uh, you know, signed a player uh, that went over to Japan that learned how to pitch. They hired a good pitching coach and they got to a World Series. So, um, you know. It, 
you know, you better do your job right, and that's draft well, develop well, have the right type of players with the right type of makeup. Uh, that's how you win. Yeah, and they had the lowest payroll in baseball last year, I believe, Arizona. Yeah. So yeah. they found a method. Hope You know, you hope those low-market teams start duplicating. Tampa does, obviously, a good job of always staying in the hunt that way. And I guess the teams in the middle, you got to figure out, it's like drinking lukewarm water. It's the kind of water that makes you – you throw up. You either got to do the the low market model or go spend money right. um, and, and do the Dodgers thing. But uh, well, and, it, and, and you got to spend your money on the right people too. Yeah. No, agreed. And so the uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday. I, I I I thought about this with Ty Cobb would have turned 137 years old yesterday, and I as I was posting his picture, I'm like, what would he do in today's game? Oh, I know. I mean, if you hired a wrong nerd, though, you're in trouble, and that's the problem. Um, and I'll give you an example. If, um, uh, like you were just saying about the Rays and turning it over, the Rays are successful because they usually turn it over. They trade a guy and they get something back that works out for them in the future, like a Rosa Arena and things like that. But if you if you if you got the wrong nerd in charge and you trade Mookie Betts and come back with nothing, basically, as Heim Bloom did with the Red Sox then that sets your organization back. And that's a big market team. It still sets you back. So so if you have people, gets back to scouting, having the right baseball people. And if you have, if you have the right people, um, if you have the right people, you can get away with some of this stuff. If you have the wrong people, you're going to be like uh, where these teams are now forever. Uh, you know, the Orioles got, you know, the Orioles made some good draft picks, but you know, again, they were pretty much no brainers, every one of them. And uh, now we'll see where they go, if they spend any money. Uh, the Pirates, same thing as we just said. Uh, the Rays, I think the Rays, actually, this is a good opening window for the Yankees because the whole division, to me, has taken a step back. Um, uh, the, the Blue Jays are a little bit of a mess. Um, and then you're going to see, you're going to see after Yamamoto signs, you're going to see Blake Snell get way too much money for Blake Snell, Snell the teams right. that didn't get Yamamoto. So it's, it's a bad cycle. And again, you're changing parts. Uh, it's not like the NFL where you're changing parts. And the key to the NFL, John Lynch, have a good guy in charge of your GMs and also pay a quarterback not that much money like Brock Purdy. And then you can spend yeah. the money elsewhere. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you, you're a big fan of the NFL. I, I'm having a harder time watching it nowadays. I can tune into certain teams. But, you know, you look at last night, I watched the, the Seahawks, Drew Locke. What a great story. The guy hadn't played in so long. Um, was a marginal prospect coming out of, I think, Missouri, and uh, stepped up for Seattle, won a big game for him last night. He's barely paid. But, yeah, if you put the right horses around him, um, the, the quarterback doesn't have to be paid like an Otani through the roof. Because well, gets- i got to bring up a sort of subject here with Will, but the Eagles, you know, they're, go- they're going backwards, it seems, Will, and uh, yeah. it's hard. Well, it's- they're, they're hard. You know, I exchanged some texts with guys I – played football with in high school and played at a really good program that we learned how to play the game fundamentally the right way. And uh, I think I told you guys at one point in the late 80s, early 90s, I think we had seven guys from my high school playing in the NFL. Uh, Hmm. Dwight Hicks, uh, John Taylor, who caught the winning touchdown pass against the Bengals. His brother Keith Taylor, Todd McNair, uh, Billy and David Griggs, and Greg Mark. 
uh, all playing in the NFL at the same time. And um, my coaches would have the Eagles defense out today learning how to tackle. (laughs) They missed so many tackles where runners kept plays alive that would have been two or three yard losses. Um, And there were some big plays during drives that Seattle ended up scoring. And instead of being third and 12, it was third and two because they missed so many tackles. They missed coverages. They, they just don't fundamentally play the game very well at all. And I, I, it's hard to watch for a team that played so well last year but I don't think this year they've played well all year. Um, so, you know. No, and I think the, on, the, on the flip side of that, it's, I think you play well in the NFL now if you have the buy-in. It's really all about buy-in. And I think the Bills have that now because yeah. I think they rallied around their coach. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, there was a controversy there, and they rallied around him. But if you watch how the Bills played Sunday against Dallas, they were flying to make oh, time. Yeah. That was they like old running. NFL. They're playing like old NFL. Yeah, the running back too. They had, um, yeah, uh, Cook. Yeah, Cook. Yeah, his brother's uh, in the NFL. Yeah, oh, he was he was a beast. He hit holes hard. Um, he was slow to the line sometimes and exploded through at the right time. And the Bills, to the credit, the Bills line were opening up holes for him. Well, they, they have a great line, and um, and they're great. they can ride that line, and that line will play in the playoffs uh, on the road as well. So so they have the buy in. Um, yeah, the Eagles. The Eagles play very uninspired football. Uninspired. That's my. That's my. A whole lot point. of uh, yeah. a lot of celebration for just doing your job instead of just doing your job and doing it well, play after play after play. Well, you know what happens too in the NFL. Again, this is a key NFL point here. Um, after teams play the 49ers, they stink for a while. The 49ers beat you up. The 49ers, to me, are the best team in the NFL. The best makeup, uh, we mentioned it last week, McCaffrey and, and guys like that, but Fred Werner, they they play as a team and they play hard and they take their job seriously and have a lot of – that's a prideful team. And um, and so, so I'm, I'm making my early AMBS prediction here now. It's going to stun people, but I'm going to say it's the um, the 49ers and the Bills in the Super Bowl. Ooh. Yeah, I think – I like the Bills' momentum right now. They're probably less hyped than they've ever been going in but to me josh allen when he's rolling he's the best offensive weapon in the nfl well he throws too much but see they found a secret now with the new offensive coordinator they've taken the ball out of his hands and make him successful with like 15 passes and a couple runs as opposed to 40 passes or 30 passes and too many runs and i i again these offensive coordinators a lot of them stink and uh, it, it's much like which it's hap- It's starting to happen in football, like it happened in baseball, and we saw it all happen in baseball. You could just see teams going south because the way they were being run. Some of these teams are going too much analytics instead of football. It's still football. You got to go out there and smash, smash mouth people. I, I used to do a radio show in San Diego where my good buddy Hank Bauer played for the Chargers, and um, you know he had a saying that you know, and he was a special teams maven. He was, he was a touchdown maven. They put him in shortly yard situations. But he would always say it, it, it's not – it's a sport where you need to create snot bubbles, meaning you hit a guy so hard 
snot bubbles come out of his nose, you know, and, uh, and, and you got it, 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 again, you can't make it too scientific. Now you can be scientific in your play calling like Shanahan is, but they still hit people. They have wide receivers blocking 30 yards down the field. They're playing football. It's really that how about, simple. How about Locke last night going down the field and blocking for his running yeah. backs? Yeah, that, that was awesome. And, and I and you know I sometimes I get on the post game uh, sideline reporters, but uh, that was a really good post game interview with him because he, you could see the emotion and how much it meant to him. Because he's a guy. Another just that we started this show talking about with Rob Samarano. Drew Locke was basically giving up. You know, okay, he can't play. You know, and and, and hasn't won in forever. It meant so much. The game meant so much to him, and that that touchdown throw he made was phenomenal. The catch was phenomenal. Yeah, he made some really good passes in that last late late drive. Now, Kevin, you had mentioned earlier about uh, Semerano, the pitcher, doing gymnastic stuff. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was on with. Uh, Peyton and Eli last night, and they showed some of the stuff that he does. And he said that uh, he does a lot of gymnastic movements because he feels as a running back that you have to be able to contort your body and move it in so many different ways that are not just powerful, but flexible and whatever. And boy, he, he, it helps him. That's for sure. You know, it's not just about getting in the weight room. It's about the movements that he's doing that are football movements on the field and applying them in different ways athletically as a gymnast and or a gymnastic person. Kevin, you were, I know you were joking in the beginning, beginning with me flipping, but that's actually the name of my workout that I do, gymnastic bodies. It should it's be. USA, should. USA gymnast coach uh, Christopher Sommer does a great program. All, of my, all four of my kids don't lift weights right now. That's all they do because mobility – it's not flexibility because that's mobilities with strength, mobility, wrists, forearms, ankles, feet. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great thing. And, and McCaffrey's also a concert pianist as well. Yeah, yeah they had him uh, at the Zach Brown concert, uh, co- concert. They showed some video of him, got on stage and played with the band. Yep. He's multi-talented. Yeah. Well, the other, yeah, the other, and that, again, that's the, and, and what do we see with baseball? Baseball is going heavy into the weights, more injuries, Less now, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's too late, but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Big G with the Yankees, Stanton, because he he finally realized he can't be lifting weights twenty four seven, and he'll, he's supposedly going to be a lot uh, more flexible this year and things like that. Hasn't he done that business before though? Hasn't yeah, he has done it once before, but he, he you know he's a, he's a, he's a muscle head, so he can't help himself. He goes back into the gym and he. Bringing back McCaffrey, people forget. You know, obviously everybody knows about his dad, Ed, but his his grandfather. I I, I don't know how you pronounce the last name on his mother's side. Uh, David Syme, S I M E, was like the world's fastest runner, an Olympic runner in in, oh, the, wow. in the sixty Olympics. So again, it gets back to what we're talking about having, you, you know, you have the right genes and you work do the right thing. So McCaffrey comes from a super super athletic family. And he, instead of just being, okay, I'm super athletic and I'll let it take me where it goes, he actually works super hard at different things, like the gymnastics, like you just said, to make himself. And I think that's the lesson there for a lot of young players, uh, you know, that we that we have, the 60,000 uh, subscribers and things. Uh, we need, you need to really work athletically. It's athlete. It's, it's, it, it, be an athlete. Don't just be a, a specific to your sport. 
Well, and, and intelligence, too. He went to Stanford. I think his father went to yes. Duke. They're very smart people, and that's how they stay in the game. They play the game the right way. They know how to play the game. They do the right things. They do their job the right way. You know, I, uh, you know, I didn't realize his father. I knew he had played a long time, but 13, 13 years in the NFL and three Super Bowl championships. Yeah, I covered his father because I covered yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, yeah. AFC football back in San Diego yeah. days. And, so. and he was a good guy, too. Good interview. Oh, just yeah, like, great, great. Like his guy. son and uh, the whole family. And that. Um, one thing I do like, I think Peyton and Eli's getting a little too, um, and again, we, we cover everything here. Their interviews are good, but when they start getting into guests to guess the touchdown or field goal, it, it, it slows the show down. So, it, you know, but when they showed the video of like seven-year-old, uh, uh, you know, McCaffrey scoring a touchdown and then yeah, doing the Terrell Owens. Doing the, and, and the funny thing was, like he said, his older brothers forced him into doing that, basically. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. so classic younger brother. But yeah. yeah, that's another, but that's another piece of the puzzle. The youngest son is usually the one that's the most athletic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I I benefited from everything my brother learned ahead of me. Uh, you know, like I learned pitching mechanics because he was five years older. And when he went to college, learned some stuff that taught me some stuff. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is all good. Yeah, you pick up yeah. a lot. And, the, uh, and you learn from their mistakes, too. <laughs> you just got to have a brother that's willing to teach you. Yeah, yeah. It, I know we're getting close to an hour, but I, I wanted to ask uh, Kevin, you and Will as well. You know, I'm a, I'm, I like the way Belichick does things old fashioned. Um, I like watching Harbaugh, Saban at the college game. I mean, it, the word is that he's out in New England. Could you see him hopping back in somewhere uh, like San Diego, like your old stomping grounds? Because I think that guy in San Diego was they moved him up quick. He was a Division three, I want to say, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, four or five years ago. He went from Division three coordinator to the an NFL head coach. Yeah, it, it was a, that's why they're goal. so bad. Yeah, well, well he's fired now. And it's also again getting back to what did we say? It just takes one nerd to screw it up, and um, that you know that that might be a story one day. One nerd to screw it up. Well, Dean Spanos, his his son is running the team now, pretty much. And I know Dean, the father, and I knew Alex, the grandfather, who had the team, and so. The son, when you have a son running the team, and that's how you get these kind of hires. So I don't think he'll go to San Diego simply because of the ownership. He doesn't want to deal with another ownership problem like that. My uh, my prediction is that he'll wind up in Washington uh, because uh, they have new ownership. They got a lot of money. Uh, it's his kind of. I think it would be his kind of ownership. He'll have the keys to. The, he'll buy the groceries, as Bill Parcells said, and be able to use it. And and don't forget his father. Uh, Navy. Navy all those years. So it's going to be although, a home. Although San Diego's a big naval too, right? It's a big naval, but it's not the yeah. same. I mean, you're talking, not when you're same. in Annapolis, yeah. you have that whole, and I, I interviewed his father years ago, and you have that whole uh, Annapolis uh, mindset. So I, I think, you know, that would be the perfect place for, for Belichick to go. Yeah. You know, you know Dave, you mentioned the, 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 the Division three coach that, uh, you know, somehow skyrockets in five years to be an NFL head coach. Sounds like a pitching coach is that we hear. Well, yeah, or I I just read an organization, I won't say who it is, but they hired a 30-year-old to be their organizational hitting director, 
And I went in and looked at his bio. He had worked for a year or two in their organization. He had 63 at-bats in college over a five-year, three different school transferred. Uh-huh. But uh, his his claim to fame was he was driveline certified, worked at driveline. And I'm going, I, you, go. I, you know, you turn over the keys to your organization to a guy who had 63 college at-bats, started at a Division One, went to a Division Two, went to a Division Three, failed at all, every one, and never got to play, basically. Yet, because he went to driveline, he's going to teach all your hitters how to hit in the hardest league in all sports, baseball. The hardest thing to do, hit a baseball. He's going to be the guy that's going to teach. we got to keep an eye on that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you know, I wish him well. I hope he does well. I hope for his organization. I'm sure they hope he does, but I don't get it. I just, you know, there's guys out there who long track records of developing hitters, working in the game. They got pushed out the door and, you know, that there's a lot of people out there that, that are we're better teachers. I'm well, didn't uh, Otani, didn't he go big on driveline this year with pitching and all of a sudden winds up? With it. Yep, he's obsessed with it. Yeah, so yeah. And then all of a sudden winds up with, we think, Tommy John, but uh, I'm sure he wouldn't answer the question. So, yeah, well, I, I, you got to have the right instructors and the right development people. And here's a number for you guys, too, because we'll bring it all back. But uh, the Yankees were 32 and 46 in non Garrett Cole st- starts last year. Wow. So, that tells you a lot. You know, the, 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 you guys mentioned Otani, and I think I brought it up when he got hurt. That week on Twitter, the driveline people had all his stuff that he was doing. And, <laughs> you know, they were, you know, flailing the 50-pound balls and all the other stuff that he was doing and the, the vibration machines and the bands and the weights and the this. And, uh, you know, this is how you become the greatest pitcher in the game, blah, 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 and the greatest hitter in the game. And, you know, I think it was two days later, the the, Tom, the second Tommy John, I wanted to go. That's how you get your second Tommy John in six years. But <laughs> yeah, it's a marketing nightmare. Well, yeah, I I, uh, I, I was surprised that you guys meant the, the San Diego, the, the quick rise. But we're seeing, like you guys said, we're seeing in baseball happen like crazy. It happens in basketball. Um and of course, we're seeing it in football now. But uh, Kevin, how you want to leave us today? We almost kept you in almost an hour here. I know you've had that three day window. We we chronicled it the uh, the wedding, the story, and then the the on the road again home. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's uh, you know enjoy this week with your family. Christmas is Monday and uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, hopefully, some people still go to church. Um, I saw uh, Oliver Anthony. Um, I think he was at the Grand Old Opera and did a nice reading of the Bible before um, before he did some music. And um, I think we need to. Uh, I think we need a lot of help these days getting through. I think, and I'm not going to mention this. I'm going to mention the story, but I'm not going to get into details. What happened in the Senate this week and what was posted from a, you know, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, it's one of those. So this country needs to straighten up pretty quick. That's all I can say. Good deal. Well, uh, guys, great show again today. Appreciate the hour. I know our audience will get it with uh, love it. Episode 390 here on the network, 60,000. Let's close in on 61 before Christmas next Monday. 
Uh, this will be our last programming this week, and then we'll take a couple weeks off for the audience to know. We'll play old shows for you out there, some popular ones. So you can stay in tune with us over the next two weeks, but please catch up. Blackout Coffee, Coffee's on Kevin uh, this month and all of 2024, capital K-E-V-I-K, 20. Uh, we'll get you 20% out of checkout. Make sure you take advantage of that. And Ted Kubiak's books, great stocking stuffer uh, for everybody. Please follow Kevin on Ball 9. Read his stories. Two great reads every week. Will you be writing the week of Christmas, Kevin? Probably. Because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it keeps me young. And, uh, um, you know, if you're not driving like 15 hours through storms, it's you got a lot of time on your hands. Help a lot easier, right, when you're doing that. Doing that. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and let's face it, too. When uh, Yamamoto signs, that's a natural. We'll see where it goes from there. And uh, um but I had I had those all the stories that you mentioned. I had those lined up that I wanted to get done for the story on Sundays. I really told the story, and uh, uh, got those out of the way. So I'm, I'll come up with some different ideas. Anybody has any ideas? Just send, shoot me a text or shoot me a uh, email or social media. Um, I always find creative things, and uh, there'll be a lot of things going on. I, I still have some in the hopper, and and um, maybe a Christmas story of some sort this week too. And you know, what's your favorite Christmas? I'll leave you with this uh, favorite Christmas song. Mine's Little Drummer Boy. I played it at the beginning. I'll, I'll close out with that. I love, yeah. love the Little Drummer Boy. Great. I, I meant to compliment you. I'm glad you came up with that this week. That was a good one. Uh, well, for, for me, Oh, Holy Night. Oh, yeah. Johnny oh, Mathis yeah. version? or uh, Nat King Cole. Um, and it's a memory of uh, candlelight service in church on Christmas Eve. And my mom crying because her dad sang the solo at their church growing up. And so every time I hear it, I cry. So Wow. Wow. That's, uh, uh, that's a good one. And, I'm gonna... and, and, it's, and, and it's about the Savior's birth. So, yeah, that's a good one. That's it's a great the, one. It's the I'm holy gonna... night. Uh, I think that's a great story to end it on. And I will mention mine, Silent Night. And, uh, when I, we used to go to uh, when we lived in San Diego, we would go to the uh, one of the uh, old churches that were you know been there for hundreds of years, and uh, um, and they would they would sing it in German, and uh, that was uh-huh. always, that was that. If you get a chance to hear Silent Night in German, go listen to it. I think it, it's it, it, it uh, uh, my my church. We uh, my Presbyterian church. I grew up in. Uh, it's Stille Nacht, I think, right or right. Yeah, Stille Nacht, and we used to, our, our, uh, that's how we would start it. Our choir would sing the German version, and then we would go into the, uh, the English version. And we awesome. would pass the candle around and light the candles as we went. Wow, that's a, that, that's, that's a moving scene. Perfect way yeah. to work. Yeah. Wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all. To our audience, we, we appreciate you guys, and we'll be back in the new year. Thanks again. I played my drum for him, ba-ra-ba-ba-bum.